Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Beyond the Ropes, a boxing podcast brought to you by Easley Boxing Repeat. The place for the Northwest and boxing news, news, reviews, and interviews. Here's your host, Sean Basso. Alright guys, it's episode number 43 of Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast and this week it's the light heavyweight's turn to cause the shock upsets in the boxing world and we've got a great show for you today. Hamed Zaman back on the podcast today, we'll talk to you in a second Hamed, just want to give everyone a brief overview of what's going on for this show. Obviously light heavyweights, uh, we've got the Kovalev fight last week against Alvarez, we've got the Bivol fight, uh, we've also got a couple of other fights from America that we'll touch on as well which uh, we, you know, we want to cover off from last weekend. We've got the matchroom bill, the Joe Cardina, Sean Dodd fight, Natasha Jonas getting upset. We've got lots of stuff to discuss, and then as always, we've got our news and gossip section. Uh, managed to get the boxing history back in this week as well, so there'll be a little short segment on that for this week's episode. But going back to you, Hamed, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, mate. How's it going? Yes. You know what? I'm very well. I'm I'm really uh, really well. Enjoyed the boxing over the weekend. Um, it was funny because we we were talking about the Kovalev fight last week and the Alvarez, and um, I think it slipped my mind about Alvarez. Uh, I'd not seen a lot of him, and then obviously you was kind of educating me a little bit last week, and <laughs> and I was saying, yeah. you know, maybe you could upset yeah, upset the apple cart, Hamed, and guess what? He went and upset the apple cart last week, didn't he? Yeah, I, I I was very busy watching the fights last weekend. I didn't get much sleep on the Sunday. I thought we could have went and uh, been on air on the Sunday or Monday, but it's good to be finally back. Yeah, I did tell a couple of people the other day when I spoke uh, to a couple of people after the fight. I told them, I don't know why uh, so many people wrote Alvarez off. I thought Kovalev was a heavy favourite, but I did say this guy shouldn't be slept on, and he caused a huge shock. I think it's just a bit of shame that I wasn't on, on the UK's 
TV, but we'll touch on that in a bit. But I don't think many people watched that fight live unless they streamed it. But if you did, I think it's a very good fight. I, I really enjoyed that fight and the whole card. I thought it was a good card. Yeah, no, I go, in, go into the Kovalev fight first then, Hamid. I think that's where I want to start really today because it was an upset. A lot of people, uh, I think including yourself, was kind of favourably, uh, heavily favouring Kovalev in this one, thinking that actually, you know, Kovalev will be the man that, that takes this and will go on and uh, we'll see maybe these fights with people like Bivol and Baterbiev, you know, in the future. But Alvarez, he just looked, he just looked Awesome. I think awesome is the word I'd want to use for it. He just his punches were, were were timed so well and I think there was one in particular where he was in the corner and you know Kovalev was sort of falling in and then you just seen this right hand popping short right hand straight into Kovalev's face and it's like he he was eating them all night and I was shocked. I was honestly, I was genuinely shocked that this happened. But on the same sense of the, and I, when I look back on the fight now, and I think to myself, I, am I really that shocked? I mean, after the the second Andre Ward fight for Kovalev, I, I, I think he was mentally broken down in that fight with with Ward, and I do genuinely think he's still got demons from that fight and I do I think 70% of the game people say is, is mental not and, and 30% is physical and I think I don't think Kovalev mentally is 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 100% where he was pre the Ward fights and I think the Ward fights have definitely taken a lot out of him and and he kind of shown with someone else who came in there with a lot of heart, the desire and the will to win, and wouldn't back down and took Kovalev's shots, and and just walked through him, and and, and then comes out victorious. It's, it kind of feels like Kovalev's lost a lot of heart to me. That's what it feels like. It feels like the heart and determination that once was there, the fierce and puncher that came over and destroyed Nathan Cleverly, Cleverly a few years ago. It's, it doesn't seem like that's the same guy anymore. It seems like he's a bit of a shell of his former self. I'm not saying he's shot, but I'm saying he just doesn't seem the same guy anymore. Uh, what did you take from that then, Hammer? Do you do you feel that's the right thing, or do you do you do you disagree with me? What I'm saying there, or I think you made a very good point. The last point was a very 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 important that you said he wasn't shot because I think a lot of people. Uh, I think I think the right word is kind of uh, overemphasizing what happened. Because let's not forget, Kovalev was winning that fight. I had the about 4-2 after six rounds. I think the knockout came in the seventh. Harold Lederman had a 5-1. I think that's maybe a bit wide, but I could definitely see that score. I thought it was maybe 4-2 or 5-1. I think I could go as far as saying 3-3 if you want to be generous. But I thought Alvarez had a really good second round. I thought the fight was on in the First round, I think, or the second. I can't remember because I haven't rewatched it. But Alvarez landed a very good left-right. And I was like, we got a fight on. This is a live body in front of Kovalev. And I was thinking Kovalev should have maybe fought someone a bit more better than his last two opponents in uh, Shabransky and Makalkin. But then again, I mean, in the fourth round, Kovalev beat up Alvarez pretty badly. I mean, I was like, I think we got the... Kovalev heading towards uh, either a dominant uh, points victory or uh, maybe a late stoppage and I think it could have been a stoppage because in that fourth round he hit him from pillar to post with some really good right and left hands and I think Alvarez answered a lot of questions he he faced some sort of adversity. He was, I thought, trailing on uh, in the, on the scores scorecard. I think he was on the two or three of the judges. 
he got hit a lot, he took a lot of shots, he showed he had a chin. Look, the thing is, I don't think Kovalev is shot. I think we've got to give Alvarez credit. This is where I think boxing fans and boxing always, I think, doesn't get it right and always make the mistake in either overemphasizing the fight or either being a bit too critical. I, I don't think this is the same Kovalev that fought Nathan Cleverly, but then again, I mean, he is 35, so uh, that's only natural. I think the uh, Ward fights... I wouldn't say they affected him uh, physically. I think they m- might affect him mentally. I think I agree with that. I think, I think there's a bit of um, uh, mental fortitude might have been lost in Kovalev's mind. I think he, he's probably mentally not the same person he was before those fights. So I agree with that part. I don't think, uh, I don't think physically he was shot. I think he looked very good for about six or seven rounds. I'll say this: uh, someone made a good point on. On one of the recent, uh, I think it was a podcast I was on a couple of days ago, uh, Kovalev, when, when he was going through that reign between 2013 and 2016, dominating the light heavyweight division, and he was beating up all comers, I mean, Hopkins, Pascal, the list goes on and on. Some very good victories. Up till Chalemba, I don't think anyone really truly gave him a fight over 12 rounds. He, he was beating up everyone, and no one really managed to uh, hurt him or really buzz him. I think he went down once or it was like a tangle of the legs with, I think, a break, Blake Caparello. But he never really punched, faced a punch down. Now, if you watch him in the amateurs and against Ward when he took that right hand, he, he, his chin, I think it is a suspect. I don't know if it's to do with the right shots that landed, but he can be knocked out is what I'm trying to say. He's been knocked out before in the amateurs. Now, Alvarez, I did say one thing before this fight. Uh, I did say don't sleep on this guy because I've seen him knock out Butte. And Butte, uh, even though Butte uh, has been stopped by Froch and I think by Alvarez as well, I don't think he's been, and he's been beaten, sorry, by uh, Badu Jack and uh, I think DeGill and a couple of other guys. I think it was Pascal as well. He hasn't really been stopped apart from those two losses to Froch and Pascal. But the only guy to really, uh, I've seen knock him out was Golovkin in the amateurs with one single shot. And I think it was Alvarez. I think Froch didn't knock him out with a, like a technical accumulation of shots. But he, Butte is a tough guy. And when I seen that knockout a couple of years ago, and then I see uh, from Alvarez, then I seen him beat Pascal. I was thinking this is a very good fighter. And I'm not too sure why uh, Adonis Stevenson... Uh, and him a fort. I think there's some sort of uh, problem with the uh, politics. Like I think they got the same promoter, and they're trying to delay, and they either paid him to step aside or he accepted some sort of step aside money. But uh, going back to Alvarez, he was a very live opponent, and this was. Uh, I'm not too sure if it's the end of the Kovalev era, but it certainly felt like the beginning of the ending of his career or he's towards the end of his career because I thought that was a bad knockout. He got dropped three times heavy. I thought the referee could have stopped it after the second knockdown. Kovalev's legs were gone, but thinking back to, I think, because it was such a big fight, I think he gave him the right chance. But if that was a bigger puncher than Alvarez, I think Kovalev could have seriously got hurt because uh, he was in the ambulance after that fight. And just looking at the landscape of the other heavyweight, light heavyweights we'll come to in a minute, uh, I think Kovalev could have got seriously hurt. Uh, but I agree with nearly everything you said. I think I think stamina came into play, gas tank, mental... Uh, his mental ability, I don't think he's mentally the same guy. Stuff like that came into play. But he was a heavy favourite. So I, 
I don't think we should ignore stuff like that. He, he is past his prime and he is 35. So, I mean, some of those factors couldn't come into play. But I don't think anyone gave Alvarez a chance outside his small square circle and a handful of insiders. So, I think we've got to give uh, Alvarez credit. Huge upset. But I think uh, I think uh, Kovalev, uh, it'll be tough for him to come back from that defeat. I think the question that we, 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 we pose in our minds now about this light heavyweight scene is with this victory for Alvarez and this defeat for Kovalev, where do both men go and how how do they progress on in their careers? I mean, you've said it there, Hamed. Kovalev is now 35 years old. His reign of terror in the light heavyweight division it seemingly looks like it's come to an end now, from that fight, for me, it looks like it comes to an end. I do think he will be in big fights in the light heavyweight division. I don't think that's the end for him of his career. But I do believe, you said it before, it's the beginning of the end of his career. I think you could be right in what you're saying there. And I do expect to see him in some in some fights with some of the other light heavyweights but now I don't think he will be the one that is more favoured to win him anymore. I think he will be yeah. the one that's the likely to be the underdog in these fights. We don't know how much he's got left in the tank. That's also play, going to play a factor in it. And, and the tank, the mental tank, we don't know how much he's got left now. This is quite a uh, crushing defeat for me. Uh, pardon the pun with the uh, crusher there. Uh, it's a, it is a bit of a crushing defeat for him, let's be honest. it's We've not really seen him get dismantled that way before I mean the ward fights you said it last week Ahmed you, you can say yeah there was low blows here there was a bit of controversy he didn't like what was going on in the fight he seemingly sort of his heart sort of wasn't there and, and it, it kind of seemed that way but in this fight here for me it was he was you know at points of the fight was, was sort of seemingly outgunned um, like you said second round of the fight looked like he was the same old Kovalev looked like he was going to get a great stoppage against a guy that is you know worldwide is relatively unknown but you said it again you can't sleep on Alvarez and he, he certainly couldn't and he got Alvarez got the victory and now we want to talk about Alvarez and and where he goes and for me now I'm looking at Alvarez and I'm thinking he can hang with any of them other big boys in that division now. I'm thinking he can hang with Peterbiev, Bivol. He can hang with the likes of Adonis Stevenson. Will that fight happen? You'd think if they were the same promotional company, that would be an easy fight to make. But there's so much with Adonis Stevenson that, that, that I don't like. Um, I'm not disputing the guy as a fighter, but I've not really liked the fact that he's been very inactive. He's let boxing politics get in the way of making big fights. And the one big fight that did get made was the Badu Jack fight, which ended up the, the, a draw. I mean, I want to see Adonis Stevenson and Alvarez next, I think. I think that's, in my mind, that's where I'd like to see the light heavyweight division go. And maybe you might expect Peterbiev to beat Callum Johnson in October and then maybe you're looking at the Bivol Peterbia fight which would be quite an interesting fight I think you know both at similar stages of the career I think that would be an interesting one but the light heavyweight scene much like the cruiserweight scene recently has, has, has 
starting to really come to fruition and it's exciting times for for us as, as, as guys and lovers of the sport and guys that love watching the sport it's exciting times for us now because we're getting to see the new breed of light heavyweights coming through uh, Hamed, I want to go back to you then and ask you the, the, the questions that I started with, which is, where does Alvarez go and where does Kovalev go? Okay, uh, I'm going to do a spin here because I, I want to know your take. Uh, I, I don't think we, any of us mentioned this, but there's a contract rematch uh, obligated in the contract. I think Kovalev's team main events, Kathy Duva put in the contract. Uh, I think if Kovalev lost, he's contracted to... Uh, not, uh, a rematch, obligated to a rematch. Alvarez is so. Uh, the thing is, though, I've I've just found out yesterday. I think listening to one of the podcasts, uh, it's not an immediate uh, rematch contract. So uh, Kovalev could either uh, could either fight him immediately, which is next enforced uh, rematch, or he could enforce it anyway in between twelve months. So he he's got about twelve months to enforce that rematch. My question to you is: uh, Do you want to see a rematch, and do you think? Kovalev should take a rematch next, or should he have a fight before he takes a rematch? Uh, I don't think he should take the rematch next. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I think that's the wrong thing for him to do. I mean, look what he did with the Ward fight. You look at the uh, the very very close loss in the first Ward fight, and he goes straight back in with Ward. And then Ward, like I say, you know, he sort of seemingly mentally breaks him down throughout the fight. People of the Lords have their opinions on that. But an immediate rematch for that one, for me, it was convincingly beat in that fight. It wasn't like it was a very close fight all the way up until the seventh round stoppage. It was. Uh, it started out well, and as you said earlier, it, it seemed like the tank had started to slow down a bit mentally. He, you know, he's throwing these bombs at Alvarez, who's, who's sort of walking through it all, and he must have been thinking in his mind, "What the hell have I got to do to get this guy out of there?" And I think that's where, as a fighter, you would start questioning, you know, at times maybe your ability and. That that that's maybe the, the the mental side of of Kovalev's game, which has let him down in this one. Um, do I want to see that immediate rematch? Probably not. No, because um, I think for me now it was a convincing win. Will it happen uh, if if the money's right? Yeah, it will happen if the money's right and they can't make another fight. It might be the only place for both fighters and both camps to go next and and, and make a rematch, but. It, it wasn't like the Andre Ward fight. The Andre Ward f- first fight was a close fight and quite a, you know, it, some people might have said it was controversial, which is pro- what prompted the second fight immediately. But this time round, you know, for me, he was convincingly beaten. So, no, I wouldn't want to see that. I'd want to see Alvarez move on to fight uh, one of the other bigger fighters in a division. Uh, if Kovalev wants to continue his career, he's going to need to get go back to the drawing board and come back and probably, well, earn his way back. That's what I'd like to see him do. But in reality, we know our boxing politics can take over and how he might just get that immediate rematch. But it's not what I'd want to see, preferably. Okay. uh, I think uh, the talk of retirement, I think because it was such a bad loss, uh, talk of retirement has come in. I think this might be a bit premature. I don't think Kovalev should retire yet. I think he needs to at least have one or two more fights before he thinks about hanging them up. I mean, we can't just uh, enforce everyone to start retiring after a loss. Like I think there was talk of uh, people saying that Joseph Parker should uh, retire because he's lost to, I think, Dilla White and uh, Anthony Joshua back-to-back. I'll say this. 
I've, I think I've heard that Kovalev was offered a new three-fight three deal contract by HBO. I think the fight last weekend was one of the fights. If if he wants to have the rematch, I think a good idea would be to get Kovalev and Alvarez on the same card. If he's, if he's, if he's not going to be an immediate rematch, and I think he wants to shake up some mental blocks and try and just get an opt-in against, say, a better opponent than the two previous opponents he had before Alvarez, I think that won't be such a bad idea. And you get you can maybe get Alvarez, I don't know, say in a unification with the guy you said, Adonis Stevenson, the WBC champion, or say... Uh, maybe Bivol who fought on the undercard, then I think that won't be such a bad idea. But I think immediate, I agree. I think it'll be very dangerous, and I think there's only one winner. Do you agree? I don't think many people will be picking Kovalev in the rematch. No, I don't think they will. I think you're right, Hamid. I think um, they'll be favouring Alvarez as the uh, as the maybe not as battle hardened or battle war torn fighter, uh, even though. He's only a year younger than than Kovalev. He's not as war torn as him, yeah. and I think that's the difference between him. He's not as he's not been in as many grueling fights as what Kovalev has, and I think sometimes that that can show. I mean, you, you know, you could be thirty seven, thirty eight years old. Uh, I mean, look at Bernard Hopkins, prime example of it. Guy at 48 years old, you know, still fighting because he looked after himself, he looked after his body, he wasn't in any major, you know, really, really tough fights. He made them fights easier for himself, whereas Kovalev in his past few fights has made them more difficult for himself. And I think it's, um, I don't, like, like I said, I want to be clear on what I'm saying here, and I'm saying he's not, I don't think he's shot by any means. I just think he's been beaten by a, a fresher man. And I think he needs to really re-establish his uh, his mental game and come back once he's once he's fully. Because I, I honestly do think it's the mental preparation that's affected him for this. That lost award for me was was it was shades of the the loss for uh, Josh Taylor and O'Hara Davis, where O'Hara Davis seemingly quit in the fight. It was a kind of similar situation for that one and. I think he needs to really go away, get his head screwed back on mentally, try and exercise these demons essentially, and then come back and see how we can uh, see how we can recover and whether he can get back up to, to to fighting another world champion. I do think he will. I do think you will see him in another world title fight, whether it's back against Alvarez or whether it's you know maybe the the Bivol fight may still come to fruition in the future. But no, I'm. Um, I'm not, I'm not expecting him to, to come back and beat Alvarez now. I'd, 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 I'm sort of struggling to see uh, if if he could beat any of the other fighters in the division. Uh, if his mental preparation is 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 been sort of really you know damaged because of his losses now. I mean he's had two back to back, well not back to back but two recently. Uh, crushing defeats, really, in my eyes. I mean, this this defeat to Alvarez was quite crushing in the sense that he got you know dismantled and got put on jelly legs, Bambi on ice, whatever you want to call it. But the war, the, the the ward loss was was mentally crushing in a different way, and where he was all frustrated and he couldn't he couldn't do what he wanted to do in the fight. So. I think yeah. he, I think I think Hamed. I think no. I don't think he'll beat Alvarez at this point in time if he decides to go back into oh, a straight rematch. 
I, I agree. I think you touched on everything on that. I agree. I don't think there's anything to add. I was just going to add a couple of stuff on this whole fight. And what I've seen, typical of Twitter and typical of boxing fans after the fight, let's not forget, Sugar Kovalev is a very, very good fighter. And wasn't the most accomplished amateur of these of the Eastern European bloc of the, of the Russian quartet. Bivol, Gavozdik, and Batubia were all more decorated amateurs. Kovalev was a good, good amateur, but he wasn't as highly touted as an amateur as those guys when he turned pro, or as Golovkin, or as some of the other guys like Pirog. Some of these guys were much more highly touted, uh, not just uh, in the Olympics. Some of them were in the Olympics and medaled, but also in the professional game. I think Kovalev. I don't think he was an underachiever. I think some people are now just get, uh, kind of. I think, uh, I think being overcritical of him for just one or two fights. I'll say this for the Ward fight. I thought both fights were controversial, even the second one. I, even though I think a lot of people have ignored Ward's right hand, the stoppage was very controversial. I don't think he was hurt, hurt against Ward with that right hand, as some people made it out. I thought Alvarez had him on Queen Street the other night and. Put him down three times. He was way more hurt when he got up. Uh, he, he didn't even know where he was, and when he went down the second time, I think that it could have been caught. The ref let it go on, and then he got dropped another third time. With Ward, I think some of the body shots and the low blows kind of sapped the energy out of it. I think mentally, I think he kind of, as some people have said, he folded. I think he did, but I think it was to do with, I think he. He in his mind, I think he thought he done everything he could in the first fight, especially in the first fight for the first six rounds. I thought he controlled uh, Ward with the jab and his boxing, uh, uh, boxing ability and his range, and he did very well. I thought in the first six rounds, Ward did close the gap, and I thought he did well and enough to win that fight. And he wasn't given the decision, and I think, I think he made a lot of excuses, and I think he. Uh, Understandably, he just he found it hard to accept that he wasn't given that decision, and I think mentally that kind of affected him. Going into the rematch, I think that first fight did, and I think uh, with the officiating with weeks, I think uh, maybe not warning Ward for some of those borderline shots, although some of them were very good body shots. I think when he hurt him with the right hand to the head, I think Kovalev got hurt with a body shot after more than the headshot. I, I don't think he was as hurt with the right hand. I think he was stunned and maybe Ward would have stopped him down the line in that round or maybe the round after. I, I don't dispute stuff like that. But I think uh, some of the low blows and the way the referee refed that night and the way the judges officiated the fight before, I think that kind of mentally affected him. But let's not forget, he was a very good fighter. He unified the light heavyweight division. One belt away from being the undisputed light heavyweight champion. I mean, Adonis Stevenson had the chance to fight him. and We'll never know why that fight uh, never happened. We'll never know who would have won that fight. But I mean, there was even talk after the Pascal rematch. But there's a very good tweet from Lee Wall. Uh, boxing on Twitter, he said poor Sergei Kovalev, less than two years ago he controlled arguably the best boxer which was Ward behind his jab and probably deserved the decision, now he's a bum who was overrated all along, and this is the kind of rhetoric I've seen online I think Kovalev I don't think he was shot, I'll say this before this fight, I think he's always had problems with stamina with, uh, with his chin, with his gas tank, but he was a very good boxer, and he was a uh, Arguably unbeatable during that reign from when he came to Cardiff to beat Cleverly all the way up to the award 
first fight, maybe after even the world first fight, going into the rematch. He beat some very good fighters. He slept Silak. He, he looked very good against Pascal in the rematch as well. Thought he had a great fight with Pascal in the first fight. I think that might have taken a lot out of him. But, uh, stylistically, I think Chalemba did give him problems. I think that's when a lot of problems came into play in Russia. And uh, I think all the whole fiasco with John David Jackson, the trainer, I think it all took a, a major, major stumbling block and major factor into him. I think he was faded a bit. I don't think he's in his prime before this fight, but I wouldn't say shot. I agree. Uh, I don't think a rematch would be. Uh, I, I don't think it'd be encouraging a, a media rematch. I think they should think about having it down the line. But I mean, the, the question I have is, how many fights does this guy? How many fights does he want? I may have missed that bit. So how many fights does Kovalev have left? Like, can he keep uh, the question? Can he keep doing this? Because uh, mentally, that's going to take even more outlook. Uh, the thing, the question I'm trying to propose is: uh, before that knockout loss, going into the seventh round, I think he might have uh, not been mentally affected or physically worn out as much. But once you uh, once you suffer these kind of losses. Even though he didn't get put to sleep, like like when Khan got put to sleep against Canelo and Hatton got put to sleep by Pacquiao and Pacquiao got put to sleep by Marquez, there's an element of when you come back and you get hit on the chin, you're not the same guy because you have that feeling where you don't want to be put, slept out again, like unconscious on the floor. I think Kovalev... Did suffer a very bad loss. I don't. I don't think it's the worst knockout loss, if I'm being honest. But it was a very bad loss. You uh, was hurt. The question is, uh, how many fights does he have left? Because I'm not too sure if he could go on like this again. Yeah, well, I don't want to spend too much more time on uh, the uh, Kovalev situation. We've spent half an hour speaking about Sergey Kovalev, <laughs> as much of a great guy uh, and a champion that he's been. Uh, probably to wrap it up with the Kovalev uh, Alvarez fight, then I'll probably answer that question and say, how many fights has he had left? One, I'd literally say one or two now, and I think yeah. they ha- they have to be big fights. I, I can, if I was in his position at this point of his career after taking two bad defeats in you know a space of 12 months I'd probably be questioning myself whether I still got the hunger and desire to do it do I really need to do it anymore do I want to make money now at this point is it just about the money now probably yeah if I was if I was 35 years old like he is and I've been in some big fights and I've unified a division maybe I didn't get the biggest fight out there because of other reasons but I've made some good money what else can he do well yeah he could take a big fight up against you know a Badu Jack or he could take a big fight against a Bivol or a Paterbiev or, or whoever really whoever's you know floating around within the next 12 months whoever comes back to the forefront Contractually, he's obliged to maybe fight Alvarez again. Would he want to take it? Again, I don't know. It's difficult to say at this point after, you know, being so fresh after losing to, to Alvarez, but... I'm only going to say one or two. I think that's, for me, one or one or two is, is the most he should do if he's going to carry on. I think, yeah, I think I agree with you. I don't think there's any more to add. I think, I think that's probably the most uh, suitable option. I, I can't see him going on any more longer. 
Well, let's move on to the other light heavyweight fight on the undercard, which was Dimitri Bivol and Isaac Chalemba. Now, we talked about this fight last week, and we talked about, I think you said it was a bit of a step down for him, given the fact he'd beat Sullivan Barrera previously. And I think for me, from my perspective, it was... Chalamba is like a bit of a gatekeeper for the, the light heavyweight division. Obviously, we'd seen him fight the likes of Tony Bellew in the past. We'd seen him fight some, you know, f- fantastic fighters and, and, and give him some good, tough fights. But Bivol, uh, he didn't beat him. He didn't uh, beat him as in he did beat him. <laughs> but he didn't beat him in the fashion uh, which would make a massive statement, which would be knocking Chalamba out. But he did... Uh, completely dominate the fight and he won the fight I think one of the judges scored it was it 120-109 or something like that it was literally every round one of the judges scored it in that fight and he did show that he was uh, again he, he he's there he's, he's ready for a, a big fight I think I don't really see what what we could get out of him going in against someone like Chalemba again you know or someone at Chalemba's level I don't think we're going to see anything more out of him for fights like that if he can dominate people like Chalemba in that fashion quite easily like he did and he looked like he could go another 12 rounds after that I think he does need to be straight into these big fights now. What's the point of holding him back anymore now? You need to get him in these big unification battles. I think that's where Bivol needs to go for me now. I enjoyed the fight with Chalemba. It was a straightforward one. I did expect it to go that way. I was hoping Bivol would make a statement and... and you know, maybe knock Chalemba out or stop a guy that's previously uh, not been stopped on very many occasions. I thought that might be the way it might go, but it didn't. But we've seen Bivol now become uh, and continue to be the champion uh, there, and 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 we're going to see him get these big fights. Is is that is that what you'd like to see for him next, Hamid? Would you like to see Bivol in big unification fights now? Yeah, of course. I, I want to see him in big fights. If not on unifications, I'd like to see him maybe... I think maybe against one of the top contenders or ex-champions. I mean, uh, I mean, there's a lot of good uh, fighters in this division. But going back to the fight, I don't think it was that great of a fight. I thought it was okay for the first six, five, six rounds. But I thought Bivol... I think he didn't make the statement he tended. I think he won, arguably won nearly every round. I don't think he won every round. I I had about 10-2, maybe, if I want to be generous, 9-3. I think uh, Chalemba maybe have won, may have won three rounds. But I thought Bival dominated the fight. I think, I think, I, I don't think he hits as hard as some people have envisaged or thought he did when he made it out onto the world scene. Uh, I think Chalemba is very hard to look good against. i got to agree. Uh, I don't think, apart from Kovalev, anyone has stopped him. But even that, I think, was an injury. I don't think, apart from Kovalev, anyone has put him on the canvas. So, I think that says enough about Kovalev's power. I think Kovalev... I, I thought Kovalev had him out in the 11th or 12th round. When he, I think it was the 10th or 11th when he put him down. And then, in the 12th, he ran out of time. I thought Kovalev just... Started too slow. I don't know. He said he did have some problems. Uh, I'm not too sure what to buy in that. I think Chalemba is a very good fighter, very seasoned. I mean, look what he did with Bellu. Like, he knows how to give people problems. And I, I think Kovalev probably could have stopped him if he put his foot on the gas a bit earlier. But going back to Bivol, I think... Um, I think some people need to push the brakes down. I think... Uh, uh, 
some people have overhyped him, and I think they need to give him time. I think at the moment he's still got a lot to learn. I think he did learn a lot in the fight, but going in the future, I'd like to say maybe unify maybe with Alvarez, or if not, if he could get a fight with maybe Batubia, that would be a really good fight. But I wouldn't mind a Badu Jack fight. But just going back to that fight, uh, I think he needs to. Make sure that his promotion and promote, uh, I think, his main events. Try and get get him a fight that's uh, a step up from that, because I think he kind of went uh, down a level. Like I agree with you, from uh, Sullivan Barreda to Isaac Chilembo was kind of step down level. You want to put him in fights where you want to put him in fights where the fans are wondering who's going to win this fight or whether or not we get a unified champion and. If you could put him in with one of the other champions, uh, that'd be ideal scenario. Yeah, I mean, looking at the uh, like heavyweight rankings now, after this weekend, Alvarez goes straight to the top with Donald Stevenson at number two, Badu Jack at number three, Dimitri Bivol number four, Kovalev five, uh, Gvirdzik at number six, Joe Smith Jr., Marcus Brown and then Peterbiev and Sullivan Barrera at number 10 there. So there's quite a few good names floating around there, to be honest with you. You've got people like Marcus Brown, undefeated American light heavyweight, on the scene at 22-0. Joe Smith Jr., 24-2, and 28 years old. You know, there's guys there that we know and we've seen go in with, with, with big guys. And we know, you know, like Joe Smith Jr., if you remember, was uh, Hopkins' last fight and he beat Hopkins by that controversial uh, knockout. He he lost to Sullivan Barrera and, and he's come back and, and beat a, a relatively unknown Melvin Russell there. But there's guys like him you could throw Bivol in with. I think that would be... People might say it's a step down, but is it really? Is it, is it, is it a right sort of level fight? Because you're saying, uh, Hamed, that Bivol needs a bit more time. I mean, ah, yeah. I, I mean, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying here. I, I agree to a point, and normally I would agree with you and say, yeah, probably a fighter at this point in the career needs that little bit more time. But for me, he's 27 years old. Yeah, he's, he's, he's only had the 14 fights, but... What else are you supposed to do with a guy who's beating everything that's being put in front of him? There's only so long you can hold him back for. I mean, one of one yeah. of one of my biggest sort of pet peeves with with boxing is you'll get fighters that promoters will stick him in with nineteen journeymen before they step him up to fight for a domestic title, and then they get found out at domestic level because they've not been tested prior to that twentieth fight. They've been given twenty journeymen on the road who are happy to survive for six, ten whatever rounds for, for their money because they guarantee the purse every, every weekend so really you, you, I don't want to see Bivol in with, with, with guys with 50-50 records or losing records I want to see him straight in with them big fights I, I do genuinely believe he is the real deal I mean You've said earlier in, in the episode about how people were all of a sudden calling Kovalev a bum because he lost that fight. I mean, I'd expect that if Bivol goes in with a big fighter, say like Badu Jack, it'd be a huge fight. If he lost that, you'd probably get people on social media calling Bivol a bum as well or saying Bivol wasn't ready for this. And I can I can understand uh, to, to, to people's points of views, but I do, for, for me, Hamed, I think... Bivol needs to be given big fights. There's no point of there's no point of stepping him back down or putting him at the same level. Give him the fights. Get him in with the big guys. 
I, I agree. Uh, why mentors? I think he's had 14 or 15 fights, if I'm correct. Um, I know he's a very quick developer. I think he... I think he won his world title a couple of fights back, and I think it was his 11th or 12th fight. Now, he's beaten some very good, sturdy challenges uh, before he won the title in Cedric Agnew. And I think there was, uh, I forgot the guy's name, the guy that Sullivan Barrera beat to become the mandatory challenger for Bivol. I think it was uh, a Vela something. Uh, F- Felix Valera. Felix Valera, that's the one. He beat he beat some very good, tough contenders and challenges uh, along the way. Now, I think Chalembo was more of a guy who looks very who's hard to look good against, and he's a guy that kind of has an ugly style. He knows how to stink it out. I think he does his job well. He knows how to survive. And apart from Gavazdik, I don't think anyone has looked good against him. I think all the other guys, um, Kovalev, even Bival, I think they lost rounds against him. I think one of the judges had 116-112. Uh, I think maybe that was a bit closer than I think a lot of people had it. But I thought uh, Chalamba clearly won about two rounds. But going back, I think the thing, the, uh, the, the reason I said people need to put the bricks on. I mean, looking at it from a business point of view, a political point of view, main events had two champions last weekend. In Kovalev, the WBO champion and WBA champion, Bivol, they're now down to one. And on the other point, Yvonne Michel has three champions, all based in Canada. Adonis Stevenson, the WBC champion, IBF champion, Perturbia, who fights uh, Callum Johnson, I think is in October. And then you got Alvarez, who just knocked out Kovalev. If your main events with Bivol, do you really want to risk him with a fight against Alvarez? I think I'd like to see that fight next, but I could wait for one more fight. I think, if I'm being honest, I think the best scenario will probably be from a business point of view. Put Kovalev in a rematch with uh, directly with uh, Alvarez. I think you might as well give it a, it's either win or bust for Kovalev. Put Bivol on the undercard. Try and get a unification with either Stevenson or Batubiev. If not, a fight with Badu Jack would be a very good fight because I think Badu Jack was meant to fight him a year ago, but he vacated his belt. Now, if you can't get one of those names, I mean, there's like you mentioned, there's still some very good fighters. Like Joe Smith, who's still around. I mean, Kavazdik, if he does fight Stevenson, then I think that might not be on the cards, but that, that won't be a bad fight. I mean, Joe Smith is still a top 10 contender. There's Marcus Brown, who I think maybe if Kovalev is going to think about a uh, tune-up, I think would be the ideal scenario, but I mean, depends what Kovalev uh, direction he wants to head into, because he was meant to be fighting Kovalev last weekend. But look how that turned out for Alvarez. I mean, he's still around. I think he's unbeaten. There's still a couple of other old fighters around uh, that I think Fonfaro may be around. I think there's odd few fighters, but I think it depends what they want to do with Bivol. I think ideally you want him to fight one of the top 10 uh, light heavyweights. But if you can't get a unification with the, one of the other champions, then I think that would probably be the best choice. I agree. I, I, I agree. It's a, it's a, it's a, it sort of seems a good strategy what you're proposing there. And maybe uh, the guys from main events might need to listen to you a little bit there, Hamid, because it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a decent strategy. I mean, 
you've got to think of boxing politics and what what sort of role that has to play in it and how you know like you've said main events going down to the one champion now are they going to risk him the cash cow basically is the cash cow of main events now yeah I get that I do I mean this is just me speaking probably more as a fan than than, than sort of someone who's giving a bit of sort of analytical views on it I think as a fan you'd want to see him go in there now and start fighting the big names but thinking of it from uh, outside the box a little bit you're going to really think about the money aspect of things main events only having the one champion the strategy you've proposed probably would be the, the, the likely scenario that would happen but we'll see we, we, we will see what happens with him and I, go on Hamid I just had one last thing I think it was uh, it was a plan all in motion for Kovalev and Bivol in play to uh, fight in December and I think it was all but signed I think as long as they both won for uh, for him to fight in a big unification in December in Atlantic City now, I think if that was the plan, then I think the ideal plan would be for uh, Alvarez and Pivol to fight in a unification. But, I mean, there was a rematch in place and what happened was upset and what happened was kind of knowing the plans. So, I think it might have changed everything. So, with Bivol, I think they might have to wait a fight or two before they think about going to that next level of trying to unify with other, the other champions. So... That could have possibly derailed main events and the light heavyweight um, division's future fights, which were on plan. But so it could have affected the future a bit, or kind of stalled maybe some of the fights. But I was just going to say it was great to see Atlantic City back uh, in a major fight hosting in Atlantic City. It was great that they actually hosted a big fight. I think this was a, a big card and a big fight. Uh, the first time they hosted since 2014 when Hopkins fought Kovalev. And I think uh, there was some sort of problem with recession or some of the casinos closed down. But it was, it was a very great fight city. I think uh, back from when Hopkins fought Pavlik, they are going all the way back to the Arturo Gatti days. Uh, yeah. It's always been a very good city. And I think it would be good if they could get the next uh, card uh, between these light heavyweights because I think this is arguably the best division. I mean, if you can mix a match, all these guys, you've got a very good division and it'll be very good if they do come back and do that card in December on HBO and if uh, Kovalev does have the rematch with Alvarez and Bivol is on the undercard it'll be great if it's, if they do that and is back in Atlantic City Well, let's just move on then and just touch briefly on a few of the other fights that happened over in America over the weekend before we head over uh, to to Cardiff and talk about the matchroom bill. So we talked about it briefly last week. Peter Quillen looking looking to come back on the comeback trail. Uh, He beats Jay Leon Love over the weekend. Sergey Lipinets also picking up the victory over the weekend there. He was back this weekend. And then we had the Battle of the Welterweights uh, when we see uh, Andre Berto facing off against Evan Alexander. Berto picking up the win in that one. Uh, what, what what are your thoughts on them three briefly? I, I didn't get to watch the full fight between Berto and Alexander. I think this is another bad decision. I've heard uh, a lot of people thought that Alexander got robbed. I think Alexander dropped him in the third or second round before my stream on my laptop got cut off because sadly enough for none of these fights were again on UK TV and uh, I'm not too sure what's going on with the UK TV but before I go into a round I'll just say <laughs> uh, uh, I'll just say that I, I, th- I think I've heard that uh, 
that was a very controversial decision because I think one of the two of the judges had Brito winning eight rounds. I think that's a bit wide. I mean, Alexander uh, clearly, I think, won about six rounds, I think a lot of people thought, and that should have been enough to get him the decision with a knockdown as well. Uh, I don't know where to go, where Brito goes from here. I think if Alexander won, arguably could have had a fight with Errol Spence. I think Brito, if it, if it was a bad decision, a controversial decision, people are saying then... I mean, it depends uh, who who wants to fight him next. But going on the other fight, I, I caught some of the highlights of that fight. Uh, actually, I was watching that fight live. It's just the stream was very bad. I, I don't think that was a great fight. Uh, I think the less we talk, say about that fight, the better. But I think Quillen may be, may be around for another title shot. I think he's back in contention. Yeah, well, again, like I said, I only wanted to touch on them briefly because I think we wanted to really focus on the light heavyweights and obviously we want to cover off the matchroom bill, which I think we'll head on to now and discuss some of the fighters on that card. And I think uh, the, the place I want to start is is the shock upset for Natasha Jonas against Vivian Obanoff. That was something... I wasn't expecting, I think I was expecting Jonas to to come through this and literally get that fight with Katie Taylor made for next year and now it just looks like it's in complete tatters and it was very surprising to me to to see that happen. I I always thought Natasha Jonas would would quite easily handle Obanoff and when I watched the fight, I was very surprised by the tactics uh, of, of Obanoff. She was coming forward in straight lines. I was thinking, yeah, Natasha Jonas is going to pick her off quite easily here. But as she was coming forward in straight lines, Natasha Jonas was going back in straight lines. And she was taking a lot of punches and they were getting through. And, and obviously Obanoff had seen the openings there on a few occasions. And she dropped Jonas on a few occasions. And eventually the towel came in from Gallagher, Joe Gallagher that is, and obviously Jonas's hopes of a rematch from the amateur days with Katie Taylor look like they're up in smoke a little bit now. And uh, I don't know, you know, how she she's going to come back from that. That was quite a bad loss for me. That I think. Um, I mean, there's always a lot of talk about women's boxing. There's always going to be a stigma around women's boxing and people have their opinions on it uh, this was quite a bad loss for, for Jonas you know she looked vulnerable on the numerous amounts of occasions in that fight and again I was shocked because I wasn't something I was expecting when I was watching it unfold I was thinking to myself this is this is not the normal Natasha Jonas I've seen uh, and I've watched Natasha Jonas I think three or four times out of her six fights live and I've been there ringside to watch him and she normally really really good at stepping off and picking the punches but she just seemed to be going back in straight lines and I just thought this, this, this is not boding very well and it didn't it didn't bode very well for her and now like I said earlier Katie Taylor fight looks like it could be off the table now because it doesn't doesn't look like she can bring the same uh, sort of aura of undefeated uh, rival to the table anymore now uh, especially being beaten off Obanoff who, who's fought Katie Taylor in Katie Taylor's second fight and Katie Taylor handled her quite well so uh, shocker what do you think yeah, I didn't catch the full fight, but uh, that was a big upset. And I think it's kind of derailed and ruined maybe some of Eddie Hearn and Matroom's plans. I think the fight you just touched on would have been a good fight. I mean, it definitely would have got me interested for someone who doesn't really watch uh, 
female boxing, but I mean, it's probably back to the drawing board. Uh, I haven't really managed to watch the highlights, but uh, it was probably the biggest upset of the card, that fight. Yeah, no, it was definitely the, <laughs> the upset of the card there. I mean, it was a relatively... <clears throat> standard matchroom card when I say that I mean it was a lot basically a lot of prospects or a lot of returning fighters against a lot of fighters with losing records or 50-50 records so you had the likes of Scott Carlo coming back picking up a victory Gamal Yafai coming back to pick up a victory you had Cody Davis continuing his career uh, with another victory there uh, Anthony Sims Jr recent matchroom signing there picking up the win and then you had the likes of uh, Daniel Yelusinov, who, funnily enough, got a bit of a slating from the pundits afterwards. I don't know if you managed to catch that or not, but he... Uh... Yeah, I watched... I, I managed to catch that. The, the card was in Cardiff, and I watched a clip, so I don't think that was a great fight. It wasn't, and he got absolutely slated afterwards, and I think it was Matthew Macklin uh, who turned around and basically said, it might have been Macklin or Macronelli, <laughs> one of them said that he basically doesn't look like he, he will get any better. Um, he doesn't think, they don't think he's going to progress anymore. He, he, they actually think one of them went as far as to say he just looks like a bang average fighter, uh, which for a guy who's got a decorated damage career as he has, He's um, it's quite surprising, obviously, when you look at some of the amateurs that have transitioned and the way they've been successful in their professional careers. He didn't look great. Uh, Jordan Gill puts up, picked up a very easy win over David Burner, who's normally a lot more durable. Uh, Sean McGoldrick uh, had a great fight with Dylan McDonough, who came in at three days' notice, which was uh, a surprising one. Uh, Dylan McDonough undefeated, 3-0 and at the time, and you don't know what to expect sometimes, and uh, it, it brought up a decent fight. I was uh, quite impressed with that fight. And then, obviously, we had the Joe Cordina and Sean Dodd fight, which is the main focus of that bill, really, and... Was we going to see levels in this fight? And uh, I said it last week, and we did. And Joe Cardina stepped up to the plate, and he, he, again, he just looks like he's uh, he's progressing well with every fight. And this was another good fight for him to get into with a guy who was previously the the Commonwealth title before he lost it to Tommy Coyle. And he's got all the experience in the world, and he gave Joe Cardina a good fight, and Joe Cardina stepped up a gear. And that's what I loved about the fact that he did that because people were questioning maybe a little bit whether or not he was ready for, for, for someone like Sean Dodd, who was a tough guy. Don't get me wrong, obviously, he's, he's, he's limited, but he's very tough and he's got the heart and desire and determination to win, as we've seen when he's picked up them titles in the past. But he, he is limited, and I think against an experienced guy like Cordina, in terms of all the amateur background he had, and you know, obviously where he came from, Team, team GB, he, he's transitioned really well, and he looked really good on Saturday. And obviously, he's a, he's, he's a Welsh prospect, a massive Welsh prospect, and he's, he's you know, Wales are expecting Joe Cordina to go on to become a world champion in the future. Hamed, I want to get your thoughts on this one. Obviously, Joe Cordina being uh, a, a Welsh boxer and, and how far you think he can go and what you felt of his performance on Saturday. I think the whole card, if I'm being honest, was a poor card to headline Sky Sports on a, uh, on a Saturday night. I think the week before we had a pay-per-view and I think it's not. this is not good enough. The standard of quality, these type of cards... To, for someone uh, or for other people who are paying for 
uh, boxing on Sky Sports. We need better cards than this. The quality is just not good enough. So I uh, just get that out the way. I think they could do better with. I mean, the, these are prospects that are headlining cards, but that doesn't mean every time there's a half decent fight or a card, you got to put it on pay per view. I mean, you could try and you could try and give some of these cards. Uh, to your Sky Sports subscribers on Sky Sports, I mean, I think I heard a very good point on one of the podcasts earlier that I was listening to um, a couple of years ago, Frotch and Butte fought, and that was not even on pay-per-view, it was on Sky Sports, I mean, so it kind of shows how far I think um, boxing in this country has gone and how far the people who market has kind of gone out of control, I mean, now any card that's half decent or above bang averages pay-per-view automatically. And it's kind of sad shame that, that that's the reason, that's the kind of way boxing has gone in this country. It's kind of blew up in terms of the pay-per-view revenue. And it's kind of bad that I think boxing being a niche sport, that it doesn't get the coverage it should deserve. Like, Or some people are trying to... Uh, credit in that way because I think a lot of people now just go on the internet and just stream it and if you want to cut streaming out I think it would be better if you start putting it on your Sky Sports or your average uh, Box Nation cards uh, rather than just putting everything on pay-per-view but going back to your point uh, yeah this was in Cardiff I don't think the main event was that bad a fight if I'm being honest I watched the main event I thought it was a good good fight a good scrap um, for a prospect I think it was a a step up, and I think I agree with you, kind of rose to the occasion and he stepped up a level. Um, taking some criticism away, just giving him uh, credit, I think he, he did what he had to do. I thought he won virtually every round. I wouldn't say he won every round convincingly. I thought there was a couple of rounds that could have went either way. I thought he won probably nine, ten rounds uh, convincingly. I thought... Uh, Taken away from it, I think he's still got a long way, Joe Godina, to go before he thinks about challenging even for a British title. I think uh, just looking at other fighters like Ritz and, and the other guys in the weight division, I think at the moment he's probably not ready and I think he could come unstuck. I still think fundamentally he needs to work on a lot of mistakes. I've seen him first-hand sparring in one of the gyms. I didn't know who he was that time. This was about four or five years ago, so a while back when I was just... Uh, sparring myself in the gyms and just training and I think um, I think he needs to work on his defence I think he's way too easy to hit if I'm being honest compared to some of the other matchroom prospects like someone like Josh Kelly or some of the other guys uh, kind of fight with that style where they kind of uh, very loose with their hands and they uh, very they're very mobile with uh with the upper body, and I think uh, he needs to learn on to f- learn how to fight on the inside as well. I, that was one thing I took away. I thought Dodd was strong on the inside. I thought Dodd was winning on the inside, but he just couldn't keep him on the inside. And I think the skill level of Codina showed. Take it away from it. I think uh, going forward, I think he probably needs a couple more fights at this level or just above this level. I think they might have made a mistake. Um, or oh, other other promoters do the same. I think in this country as well. Just uh, they should start on this level a bit earlier than they tend to do. Rather than I think with him, it was only his eighth fight, so I'm not going to be too hard on him. But I've seen it, like you said, uh, other fighters get ten, twenty uh, fighters where they're fighting uh, virtually punching bags or virtually guys that 
you know, we shouldn't be in the ring with them. And then when they step up, they come unstuck. And I think with him, I think they've done the good job. It's only his eighth fight, and he's challenging already for I think was it the Commonwealth title. So uh, I, I think he's a very good prospect going forward. I think he's very skillful, a very talented, probably one of the most talented out of the bunch. Uh, if I'm being honest, I think he's still got a lot to learn. He needs to work on his defence, maybe his uh, inside game. I think he gets hit a bit too much and I think he's uh, way too easy to hit for someone who, who thinks they're out of range and could uh, kind of put their hands down and showboat. I think he he's... I don't think he might have the defensive uh, proneness and Agility as he thinks he has. I think uh, offensively, I think he's very good. Uh, when he when he was throwing punches, I was very impressed. When he was moving forward, when he's throwing shots, I was very impressed. I was like, I'd like to see more of his jab. I think his jab is very good. He's very talented, very naturally gifted fighter. But I think he's got to work on some other areas if he wants to go to that world level. And maybe the power is a. Uh, Maybe a major point for some uh, some fans. I think you could work around it. I think he's a very good fighter, and I think he could break down opponents. But I think he's got a, a, quite a while to go before he thinks about challenging for world titles and maybe even British titles. Yeah, I can I can agree with what you're saying there. I mean, the, the the thing I don't want for someone like Cordina is for him to be stuck in with guys that, uh, uh, with all due respect, fighting on the road every week. I want him to see him in, stepped up with bigger prospects. And, and to be fair, I think they've done that here. And I think that's that was a wise move to, to put him in with someone like Sean Dodd in, in, you know, in his eighth, uh, seventh professional fight. And he, he's come through it, and he's come through it well. Yes, he made a few mistakes. He got hit a little bit too much. But that type of fight that he had to be involved in probably... You wouldn't see that from him against a different style of fighter because he wouldn't have to engage as much in terms of... He wouldn't have to... For me, he wouldn't have to fight Sean Dodd's type of fight. He had to in this one. That was the only way he was going to be able to out-hustle Sean Dodd, and he did a good job of it. I think that's where he gets credit for me, is he he did a good job of out-hustling a guy who wanted to bring Cordina down to that style of fighting and he did pretty well with it and it was a good test for him, a good learning curve. Cordina's shown he can fight on the inside as well as the outside now. So for me, great, great test for him. He's come through it. He's still got stuff to learn but if they keep stepping the opposition up, you know, every couple of fights and by the time he's getting to 15, 16 fights, you're expecting a big British domestic showdown I'd be happy with that for Cardina. I would be happy with that because I know then he's not being stuck in with the guys that are just going to be easy, easy pickings for him. Because, like I said earlier, if he gets in with a bigger fighter, that's when he could possibly become unstuck in the fight if he hasn't had the right and necessary step ups and experience at the right times. So I do think it was the right step up for him. He did look decent yeah he did take a lot at times but he didn't seem troubled by any of it so you know win-win really I think uh, I think giving credit where credit's due and obviously there is learning to be done and they will go back and look at the tape and you know they'll, they'll see that and we'll, we'll you know we'll see what happens when they put him in another fight are they going to step him up straight away probably not you'll probably see him in his next fight against maybe somebody that's a little bit sort of similar level opposition to Sean Dodd, if not a little bit lower down. 
more of an activity fight, I'd reckon. And then you might see him get stepped up again as it comes towards his sort of 10th professional fight. So I've got a lot of hope for him. He is one of the uh, great crop of fighters that have come out of Team GB there. So I'm excited to see what happens with with him, with Joe Cardina, and uh, where we go in the future for, for Welsh boxing. I mean, Welsh boxing seems to be doing pretty decent at the moment. Obviously, Cody Davis, you know, great prospect on the undercard, picked up another win. I think he's another person I'd like to see him uh, be stepped up quite soon because I think he's, uh, he's, 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 you know, he's finding it quite straightforward getting in against guys that are uh, probably a little bit of level below him. So I'd like to see him be stepped up quite soon. But let's 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 just do a little bit of a comparison. Obviously, I know they're completely different ways here. But you look at Joe Cardina's first seven fights and the level of opposition he's been stepped up against. And if you look at someone like Cody Davis's first five six fights, the level of opposition is totally different. Totally different. So I think it also depends on the level of amateur background the fighter's got uh, how you know how much amateur experience how many competitions they've entered how many have they been on Team GB I mean obviously Cody Davis was, was part of that as well previously so it, again if you look at the levels of oppositions uh, it tells a bit of a story paints a bit of a picture for me that Joe Cordian has been stepped up quite quickly in comparison to someone like Cody Davis who's also obviously a Welsh fighting prospect so yeah, I think that's as uh, I think that's all I've got to say about uh, Cordina. You know, positive, all positive for me. It's no negatives at the moment. Uh, stuff to learn, of course, but uh, he's looking like he's on his way to becoming a, a, the next top prospect from Wales. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's nothing more to add to that. Um, I agree with what everything you said. I was just going to say oh, a lot of these prospects are. I've got a very decorated amateur background, so they, I think they should be stepping up uh, sooner rather than later. I, I don't think it should take 10 fights to step up. I mean, uh, guys like Lawrence Coley and Joe Cordina and uh, amongst the other prospects like Josh Kelly, I think these guys are very, uh, very good amateurs, very good prospects. I think they've got a lot of amateur experience and an extensive background in the amateur game. I, I, I don't think it's that bad of an idea to step him up sooner rather than later. I think uh, that should be the way forward. Uh, I'm not saying they should be stepping up to world level in the first 10 fights. I think that's ridiculous. I don't think uh, you need to go that far. I think just step it up to British Commonwealth level in the first 10 fights and steadily break through. And I think by the 20th fight, they should be looking at uh, a, a, being a top contender before being on the cusp before the challenging for world titles. So I agree with what you said and I I can't add any more to that. Right, well, I think we'll move on and we'll go back to the uh, the segment which I've uh, I've missed. Uh, it's the Boxing History segment. So here we go. It's this week in Boxing History. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over! Mamma mia, he's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! 
Yes, this week in boxing history is back, and I'm glad to have it back on the show this week. I have actually missed it, to be fair, and uh, I love doing a lot of uh, research on these fights and fighters of, of days gone by. So, just a couple just notable ones that I'd like to bring to the listeners' attention. We've got August the 7th, 1997, when Roy Jones Jr. knocked out Montel Griffin in round number one to become the WBC light heavyweight champion. In front of a, quite a small crowd of 4,500 people... Uh, in Connecticut, it was a rematch of a previous fight these two guys had in which Jones was actually dealt his first defeat of his career when he was disqualified for hitting Montel Griffin when he was down on one knee. So Jones Jr. there picking up the WBC light heavyweight title back in 1997. The next one's quite interesting. On August the 9th, back in 1950, Sugar Ray Robinson defeating Charlie Fusery over 15 rounds to retain his world welterweight crown. That was the last fight of his career at 147. The 29-year-old Robinson easily improved. 110 fights, 110 wins, one draw one loss and two draws at this point uh, and he'd made the fifth successful defense of the world title he won back in 1946 uh, he was also named fighter of the year for 1950 so he'd go on obviously to have a continued storied career as we all know uh, and then we've got one more which i wanted to bring to everybody's attention back on august the 12th in the year 2000 evander holyfield beating john marie's by a 12-round unanimous decision to win the vacant WBA heavyweight title in Las Vegas. Ruiz at this point was a relatively unknown fight. He was actually a 4-1 to one betting underdog, but he was the aggressor uh, through the first of three consecutive meetings between the fighters. Uh, but at that time, the 37-year-old Holyfield won a controversial decision to become only the four-time world heavyweight champion. So there you go. This week in boxing history. I'm Ed. Let's move on. Let's get on to uh, the only probable notable fight of the weekend. And I'm going to hand it over to yourself now and let you talk about this one. So, Hamed, tell us what's going on this weekend. Okay, so Joseph Diaz is back in action this Saturday against Ro- Rojas, if I'm pronouncing his name correct. Uh, I think this is a, not a bad uh, fight for his first comeback fight since the defeat to Gary Russell Jr. in May, which was his first world title fight and world title challenge. He was unsuccessful in that fight. I don't think he was on TV here, but I thought he, he won over a lot of people in terms of putting up such a gallant and brave effort. I thought he won about four or five rounds. I think the referee kind of ruined the fight in a way... I think it's Ernie Chevalier, if I'm pronouncing his name. He wouldn't let him fight on the inside. But I think Gary Russell Jr. was clearly the better man on the night. He won the fight fair and square. But uh, Joseph Diaz is a very good prospect in the featherweight division. And I think if he wins this fight, he'll be back in the picture. I think this fight has been streamed on the Facebook Live Golden Boy page. I think if people want to watch it, I think they could check it out. It'll be on the early hours. Um, I think Joseph Diaz is a very good prospect for Golden Boy. I think uh, uh, amongst the other prospects, uh, he's probably the standout prospect and he's certainly certainly a very good fighter. When he was up and coming before that fight with Gary Russell, I thought uh, I thought he was a very good prospect because I think I've seen him on the undercard of the Canelo and Gennady Golovkin a pay-per-view fight last September and he was, uh, I think, the standout, uh, standout on the undercard because I think there was a... Uh, Fight between Diego De La Hoya and 
Okay, Randy Caballero and I think Joseph Diaz was on the other fight on the undercard. I can't remember against who, but he's a very good fighter. But he's back in action this week. I don't think there's any other major fights, but it's very exciting times for the featherweight division with um, Frampton fighting soon against Luke Jackson in a, uh, the week after. And then you got, I think it's rumored to be Gary Russell and Leo Santa Cruz fighting soon, and you got Valdez coming back from his. Uh, a jaw injury, I think jaw operation he had, and uh, this is arguably one of the best divisions in boxing, along with the uh, light heavyweight division. But yeah, uh, it's good to see Joseph Diaz, Jojo Diaz, back in action this weekend. So, Hamed, let's move on to our final section of the show. It's our favourite, it's where we start ranting, it's where we tell you about a bit of the news that's been going on uh, across the world and across social media. It's the news and gossip section. So, news and gossip. What's been going on this week? Well, quite a lot. We've finally got to see Jarrell Miller's next opponent in Thomas Adamek, which uh, is, I think has been getting slated for on social media, uh, given all the shit he was giving Anthony Joshua not a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Thomas Adamek, he's, he's way, way past it. Way past it. I mean, the way Eddie Hearn has tried to sell this one uh, for, for Matchroom USA is the fact that he's defended his Polish heavyweight title twice in Poland. Uh, I don't think that warrants a fight with with Jarrell Miller, who is, what, 21, 22 and 0 now, and he's, he's on the cusp of maybe fighting one of the world champions. This is a massive step back for him. A massive step back, and I'm, I'm quite shocked, to be honest, that, that, that this fight's happening. And I was hoping, you know, we'd see Jarrell Miller in with a better contender. With all due respect to Adamek, he's way past his best now, and this is not a fight I wanted to see. I want to get your thoughts on this one, Hamid. Do you think the same on this one, way past his best, Adamek, and shouldn't be happening, really? Uh if I'm being honest, uh, looking back at the card last weekend in Atlantic City at the Hard Rock Casino, we had a fight on the undercard between Bivol and Chalemba. I mean, Chalemba is a worthy uh, challenger or a good contender, even though he's past his best, but he was still in the top 10. Adamek is not a top 10 heavyweight, so I don't see how you could justify this fight. I mean, if you're going to keep Miller active, I know the difference between Bival and Miller is one's a world champion and the other is not, but my point is trying to, um, the point I'm trying to make is Miller is trying to do challenge for a world title. He shouldn't be fighting a 41-year-old Adamek who's got eight or nine losses, who's a career best, in my opinion, cruiserweight slash light heavyweight. I, I don't even think he was a cruiserweight, if I'm being fair. I thought I thought he's like a light heavyweight at his best, but he's a blown-up, I think, heavyweight when he moved up. And near his prime, or at his prime, he fought Vitaly Klitschko, but I thought he was way too small. I remember watching that fight. I think he was in one of the snooker bars. Uh, Riley's and Vitaly Klitschko was dwarfed him over. He was like six foot eight, and I thought that was near the end for him. I think since then he had a couple of fights. I think with uh, Steve Cunningham, and I think he won was controversially. But I was surprised he's still around. I, I'm not, I was kind of uh, surprised he's still boxing. I thought he had been gone because I remember this was a guy that I heard about back in two thousand six seven when Chad Dawson was the only man to defeat him, and he was a very highly touted fighter at cruiserweight and light heavyweight, um, the division he was at before, and then he went up to heavyweight, and people are thinking him and maybe Hay 
who was the world champion at heavyweight at that time, where the vision could be the guys to maybe pose a threat to the Klitschkos. But then we found out Klitsch- the Klitschkos were just too good on their nights. Uh, Vladimir beating hey, and then Vitaly beating Adamek. But this is a huge step down. I mean, he is a name. I understand him trying to sell it to the Polish market in in the city they're fighting in. I forgot what city they're fighting in, but I remember this is a major major city known for a lot of people, a lot of Polish people the in that city. Chicago they're fighting. Yeah, Chicago and the city they're fighting. I heard there's a lot of Polish guys there, but I mean, if uh, Miller is serious about fighting the likes of Joshua and Wilder, Adam, does he fit the bill? I think this is a step down from the even the Dohapas and the Gerald Washington levels. Uh, I mean, who who did you want? Would you like to have seen him fight? Uh, see if he wasn't fighting Adamic. I think we were talking about this a lot last week, weren't we? We covered a lot of this off because obviously we want to see Jarrell Miller in now with... Um, I mean, I did an article uh, recently. Um, no, actually, Mac, well, you know, one of the writers for ECC Boxing Repeat, Elliot Stott, he did an article on Jarrell Miller. You know, a bit, a bit more about his background, who he is, and can he challenge any of the champions. And <laughs> the feedback on social media was, no, he isn't going to do anything. To, you know, he isn't going to get anywhere. But he's, he's, he's still a guy you've got to watch out for. I mean, you said Gerald Washington, he's fought Marius Wack, uh, Johan Dupiaz, but then going to Thomas Adamek, he's a massive step down. Who do I want to see him fight next? Well, if you look around at the heavyweight rankings at the moment, you know, you have got the likes of, uh, you know, Thomas Adamek. In, he's ranked number 15 I'm just looking at it now as I'm speaking Thomas Adamek is actually ranked on box rank number 15 heavyweight in the world which is I find that quite absurd to be honest with you um, I, I, I don't know how they've compiled that list there but going back to uh, Miller and who I'd wanted to see him fight next well you know I'd like to see him fight somebody like Dominic Brazil you know you've got your Joseph Parker yes he's coming off the back back of back to back losses but he's still a guy that can you know test someone like Jarrell Miller and show us whether Jarrell Miller has got something there Christian Hammer might have been a better opponent for him um, you know, you've got the likes of uh, uh, Alexander Dmitrienko there still floating around. Yeah, there's, there's some better tests there for me than there is against fighting Thomas Adamek, who, like I said earlier, is is <laughs> being he's being sold on the basis that he's won the Polish international heavyweight title and defended it. I mean, he's not been uh, what in a in a meaningful fight since. You know, he fought Eric Molina back in 2016. He lost that fight by knockout. He fought Cunningham, as you've said. He's fought Eddie Chambers, Vitaly Klitschko back in 2011. I mean, for me, this is a massive step down. I'm disappointed, and I mean, I am. I am. I know it's. it's, 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 I find it ridiculous, to be honest. If I'm going to get a full blown rant about it, then yeah, it's ridiculous. I can understand what. I can understand why they're trying to do it, though. I can understand what Eddie is trying to do. Is he's trying to sell it to the Polish audience in in Chicago? And would you would you call it a mismatch? Because I think it's a very bad matchup. 
Yeah, it is. It is. It's two guys at the opposite ends of their careers. Adamek, who's a guy who's way past his best, uh, small, naturally the smaller fighter against Jarrell Miller, who's 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 young, who's fresher, who's on the up, who, who's probably got more power, it could probably hurt Adamek if he wanted to, and. I, I'm I, I worry. To be honest, with you, I'm genuinely worried for Adamek's uh, health because this is not a fight he should be taking at this stage of his career. To be honest, uh, and and both of them really. I mean, Jarrell Miller. I'd want to see him fight someone a little bit better than that. It's disappointing. I mean, they, they, obviously the card. If you look at the whole card, which kind of leads me nicely onto the rest of you know the, the the news and gossip section you look at the rest of the card and you've got the Peterbiev and Callum Johnson fight which for me is the fight of the card that is the fight that makes it makes that card because it's being sold on the basis of both guys are vicious punchers and both can knock each other out and be knocked out and then that is a good way to sell it and I think that should be if it's not been made the main event it should be the main event because that is going to be a cracking fight as long as it lasts but then you've also got Gavin McDonald challenging for another world title on the undercard of this one as well so you know you've still got your British sort of contingent over there even though it's a a, a matchroom USA show and you're trying to get the USA fighters on there but you've still got a couple of British fighters creeping into that one you've got Gavin McDonald and Daniel Roman in there uh, and then you've got Jesse Vargas against Tolas Dulmeron which I think is a, a decent fight I think I'd, I'd probably go as far as saying it's a decent fight but the one that stands out is Baturbi Evan Johnson for me that's the one I am Sort of genuinely looking forward to with that bill, um, just from a British perspective, really. You know, obviously, I'd like Callum Johnson to go in there and win, but it's going to be a bit of a shootout. This fight, decent card, probably not the best start in terms of card. And kind of going back to your little rant a bit earlier, Hamed, about the poor cards, and it's it's the first big matchroom. Um, USA on the Dasnan network, isn't it as well? I think and um, yeah, yeah, first card. Yeah, it's the first card on that network. I don't think it's a very good card to be putting on this this billion pound deal network that they've got. It's not. It's not great on paper. It's not great. It could turn out to be a very very good card, and you know, I could be sat here in a, you know in a few months' time thinking, wow, that was amazing. But I honestly don't think it is going to be. Uh, a, a, a decent card. I think there's going to be one standout fight on it, and I, I honestly I can't really say too much more about it. I mean, I'll hand it over to you about that card. What do you think about that being the first card on yeah, the I'll, uh, network? I'll give, this, I'll give this brief. I was just going to say, I think there's also the fight between between uh, Vargas and. Uh, I think it's Thomas Delomey. I, I I agree. I don't think it's a that good of a card, but not a bad card to start it off. If I'm being honest, uh, first a card on the Dazzin Network. I mean, you got you got the uh, you got two world title fights, other world title fights as well as you mentioned. I mean, Baturbio Johnson, I think, is the main fight. I don't like the Jarrell Miller fight. If I'm being honest, I agree. I think I would like to have seen Jarrell Miller fight someone like. Uh, I know he wasn't going to fight the, the main names I'm going to mention now on this card because I think a lot of them either fought recently or are. So I think uh, I think maybe Dominic Brazil in the next fight, if if Fury and Waldo, which I think we might mention in a minute, we'll definitely be touching on next week. 
if they're going to fight next, and I think Dominic Brazil and Jaron Miller would be a bad fight next. I think Derek Chisora and uh, Dylan White, one of those, unless they fight each other, I think that rematch is huge. And it's bound to happen. I think Eddie Hearn has turned into a pay-per-view fight. I think the actual fight sells. It's a very good matchup. I, I want to watch that fight again. I definitely want to re-watch the first fight because I thought it was such a good fight soon. And I'll probably be interested in seeing the rematch between White and Chisora. But going back to Miller, I think we need to see him step it up now. We need to see him fight guys like in the top seven, eight, uh, guys like Dominic Brazil. Maybe Wilder, if the title shot is there, if Wilder wants to fight him. Dylan White, if he could get that fight. I mean, Luis Ortiz is still around. Like you mentioned, Joseph Parker. I, I think that's a good fight as well. If Joseph Parker can't find a dance partner in his next fight, I mean, why not make Parker and Jaron Miller? That's not a bad fight. I mean, I know Joshua and Povetkin are tied up and... I think Fury and Wilder will be tied up as well, probably. And looking at White and Chisora, I don't think they'll be going back to the Miller level. I think both of those guys are either interested in a rematch or a challenge for a world t- title. So, I mean, if it's not Brazil, then Ortiz or maybe Joseph Parker. And I'd like to see Jaron Miller back his wits up because he did pull out the fight with uh, Pulev, which would have been for a IBF mandatory slot and would have got him the... A mandatory position with Joshua if you had won that fight. I mean, there was reasons why he pulled up. Uh, I mean, I'd like to see him fight one of those guys I mentioned. Ortiz, Brazil, or Parker next. Uh, but Adamek, uh, I'm not too interested in this fight. I think it's kind of a buzzkill for this first card, getting a 41-year-old. And I agree, I think it could end badly. I mean, you got Miller, who's like a 400-pound heavyweight. Yeah, but I haven't got too much more to add to that segment. No, I'd agree. There's there's other stuff to go through as well. There's uh, loads of other stuff that I'm looking at, you know, uh, across across the social media networks at the moment. And um, one of the other things we were talking about a couple of weeks ago was the uh, Triple G Canelo card, the actual undercard of that. Uh, Spike O'Sullivan apparently now has assigned the contract for his bout with David Lemieux. And Jamie Munguia, who we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, was reportedly defending against Brandon Cook. And we've also got Roman Gonzalez, who's... Uh, I'm touted to return on that card as well. So that card's actually starting to stack up quite nicely now. And I do like the undercard fights that they're looking to put on there. And, and, and it would make me a little bit more excited about the whole bill as overall. Because when you get these super fights like these, these mega fights, so to speak, you normally... You don't really see a lot of good cards, do you? I mean, I've watched a lot of fights in America where you, you, you're hyped for this mega fight, but yet the undercard is, is piss poor. And then you're left sat there for hours on end with hype and excited excitedness to watch this big fight. And by the time four or five o'clock in the morning comes, you're absolutely knackered staying up to watch the fight. And you can only just keep your eyes open trying to watch this big fight. If they put a good card on, like this looks like it's going to be a really good undercard with these particular fights on there then it is it keeps for me it keeps it uh more sustainable i mean the event no matter what happens everybody's going to want to watch that fight we know that for a fact that is a fight uh, that everybody wants to see and didn't think we were going to see a couple of months ago but now we see we're going to get to see it so for me the undercard looks a lot better and i'm happy with that so 
I would look forward to watching that fight if I was going to actually stay up for it because, you know, for us guys here in the UK, we, we've got to stay up till four or five o'clock in the morning to watch Triple G and Canelo do a dance again. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a, yeah. bit, it's a bit ridiculous, really, when you think about it, but we want to watch the fight. But to have a good undercard like that makes it a bit more bearable for us to, 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 to watch it. But, yeah, going back to that then, Spike Osullivan, David Lemieux, we've spoke about that a little bit before, and Jamie Munguay and uh, Brandon Cook. Do you think they'll do you think it makes it a better undercard then do you think I'm writing what I'm saying it makes it worth the the, the weight and, and a good build up to the main event I, I completely agree I, I, I got nothing more to add really all I can say I think Gonzalez may be towards the end of his career but I mean he's still a name he'll put bums on seats great undercard I mean if fans in America are complaining about this I mean just look at what we've had to put up with the amount of pay-per-view cards and I know I don't really open these cards and I don't think you do as well in the UK but in America I don't even think there's been a pay-per-view in America this year I think this will be the first pay-per-view card in America in boxing uh, between Canelo and Triple G I think there was a schedule for May but that got cancelled I think September and it, I mean if, if it's about 60-70 dollars 60, 70 bucks and you get uh, Lemieux and Spike O'Sullivan on the undercard along with Golovkin and Canelo and then you got Gonzalez and Jamie Mungia who's the future, who's touted as the future junior middleweight uh, next big thing. I mean, you can't complain. I think it's worth it. I think for, even for the UK market as well, it's definitely worth it. I, I just hope someone picks it up. I mean, there's been too many cards uh, going into the, uh, dwelling into this subject uh, I mean, you had the uh, Superfly 2 card that was missed by both networks or any network in the UK. Box Nation or Sky Sports didn't pick that up. You had the Errol Spencer Campo fight, no one picked up. You had the you had the Leo Santa Cruz and Abner Mares, one and two. Both those cards weren't picked up, along with Danny Garcia, Brandon Rios. Then you had uh, two back-to-back cards with Mikey Garcia, which is a major world title fight with Robert Easter, Unification, which no one picked up. I- I'm not too sure what's wrong with Box Nation. I think they're almost done. I think they're finished. They're probably thinking about packing it in. I think Box Nation is on their last legs. And then they- no one picked up Kovalev and... Uh, the Kovalev Bivol card, Kovalev Alvarez fight, which turned into a really good fight and a good card. And I think Box Nation is probably done. I'm not too sure why Sky Sports ain't putting any interest. I'll be very surprised if anyone does doesn't show this card. This is a major card, but I mean, again, nothing surprises me with boxing. And I think maybe something might happen again and no one picks it up in the UK. But I'd like to see more networks pick up these fights. But as for the card... I can't add too much. I think this is a great card, and if if I was thinking about paying for this, I definitely would be thinking. I mean, people that gotta pay for this, they should look at the value of the card. And compared to some of the recent undercards, I agree, is much better. Well, I think what I've taken from from that there, Hamid, is um, maybe uh, for the next couple of episodes we should get a little segment for you, and we could call it Hamid's rant of the week because that is <laughs> that is definitely something that's been on your mind all the way through today's episode is the the lack of exposure in the UK for some of these big fights, and I I hundred percent agree with what you say. I cannot disagree. Uh, to any point on there because of the fact that as 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 fans as guys that do the podcast as guys that write articles we want to see exposure for all these huge fights in the UK and when we don't get it it is very frustrating and people wonder why and I've said this before 
people, you know, these big companies wonder why people stream online and go to various different sources to get this because they can't get it anywhere else. People want to watch these fighters. People want to watch these fights, and some of these TV networks in the UK. Uh, dropping dropping the ball just a little bit, I think, and this is a subject that we could go on all night about. Yeah, speak. I, I was just, go I'm on. just gonna. Sorry, I'm just gonna say one thing. Uh, this wasn't really too much of an issue when the networks uh, were picking fights up. I mean, I wasn't a subscriber to Box Nation until about 2013, and I don't think I had Sky. It was on and off, but it was mainly for football and other stuff. But when you did open it for boxing, it was worth it. But I mean, pay per view has been all around all around. Uh, that's not too big of an issue. I mean, pay per view will always be there. So, I mean, we could go on about that. Is I mean, it's subjective whether or not. Some of these fights should be on people. Some people think they should. Some majority think they don't. But going back to this, the reason is a bit frustrating. I mean, I normally stay up for a lot of these cards as I work at nights, and I'm normally now in a sleeping pattern of sleeping really late. So I find it very annoying and difficult to stream. I, I did manage to stream the last two cards on my phone. I mean, last weekend was perfect. But I'd rather watch it on a TV than on a little tablet on a mobile or on a laptop, which keeps freezing. Um, I do prefer to be watching on TV and I can record it. And definitely other people would want to watch it who wake up in the morning. So that's why a bit of frustration on my part comes in that particular topic. Yeah, I agree. Well, I've got a couple of bits of news uh, that have come out on social media quoted from Frank Warren, which is quite interesting, actually. So, two two different things from Frank Warren here. Apparently, he says he expects the WBO to order the new light heavyweight champion, Alvarez, to make a mandatory defence within the next few months. Anthony Yard is currently ranked number one, and he'll consider making that fight based on Yard's next performance. I find that quite interesting because... My interpretation uh, of Anthony Yard is that uh, he's ducked a few fights. He's been offered these fights before and he's ducked them or his team have not found them feasible or, or whatever the reasoning is behind it. I'll never fully know that unless I actually spoke to them myself. But if for me, it kind of comes across like they've been offered these big fights. I mean, he was offered the fight with Baturbiev and they turned it down. I don't know why because Callum Johnson snapped the hand off at it. So it doesn't really make sense for Warren to sit there and say, oh, well, they might put him in this fight. You're either going to put him in it or you ain't. And it's more than likely at the moment you ain't going to put him in it because, as we said a lot earlier on today in the podcast about the main event situation with them only having that one champion, he, he he's a cash cow. And Frank Warren has been known over the years to milk the fighters. He, he milked Hatton. He, he milked Calzaghe when he had him. He's milked quite a few of them. And that's why a lot of them had records where you're thinking to yourself, why are these guys not fighting these big champions yet? And when you speak to them all and you hear interviews with them years later, it's because it was all down to the promoter. So I don't expect that to happen anytime soon, to be honest with you. I don't even know if Anthony Yard's 100% ready for it. Uh, But then again, people will, will say... You know what? What are you basing that on? I don't know. But what do you think about that one? Do you think uh, <laughs> that'll ever get made, or do you think it's just sort of Warren blowing smoke as usual? I think it's more smoke and mirrors. I haven't got too much to add. Uh, I've kind of lost interest in Anthony Ad until he steps up. Uh, I really, I don't know. I don't want to be too harsh, but overcritical I really don't care because I mean, uh, until he gets in the ring and fights this guy, because I find it a bit odd. He- 
gonna go from fighting guys like Sek to a dangerous champion in Alvarez. I think nearly all those guys we mentioned earlier, top six, seven, they probably beat up Yard and probably expose a lot of his uh, a lot of his inefficiency deficiencies and a lot of his inexperienced. Uh, he's he hasn't got a good amateur background. I understand they want to steady move steadily move him on, but I mean, when is he gonna? When is the right time to move on? I mean, like you said, even the British level or domestic level, he's not really been matched up against any of these guys. So until he really gets in the ring with someone who's noteworthy, I'll hold back. I think it'll be very odd if he goes from fighting the guys he's been fighting to Alvarez. I think it's more probably talk and hype. Uh, I think I'd like to see him step it up and maybe go towards that position. If he could start fighting and become a manager challenger, then I don't mind. But at the moment, it's kind of a bit frustrating. I think a guy who's a very highly touted prospect should be getting the right fights. And I think he's being mismanaged. And I agree. I think he's being kind of milked. And I agree a lot of the fighters you mentioned. I I, I was thinking the same thing about eight, nine years ago. A lot of these fighters had padded up records, like 40-something, 38-0, Kalzagi, uh, Hatton. But a lot of them, they did become world champions, some of them. And then they start getting milked. I think with Yad, he's not a world champion. I don't even think he's... uh, He's on a fringe world contender. I think he's probably barely, barely top ten. I don't. I don't think he's top ten. I think he's barely top fifteen. If I'm being honest, in the light heavyweight division, I don't think he's beaten anyone of uh, noteworthy. So, uh, I don't know. Is he really a hype job? I think it's a bit early to say that. I think we need to see him fight maybe some live opponents, yeah. live bodies before we make an assessment. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think I think Frank Warren is probably just doing it to promote his fight. Yeah, probably. Uh, more than likely. Well, he's also come out and said that both Yonsei Wilder and Josh Warrington will be working for BT Sport in Belfast next weekend, eyeing up the potential bouts with Tyson Fury and Kyle Frampton, respectively. That'll be interesting, actually, to see if uh, Wilder and Warrington uh, are going to be there. I expect Warrington to be there. Uh, Deontay Wilder will be interesting because... Obviously, there's uh, a lot of talk of the Fury and Wilder fight last week because it was talking that it was nearly done and we're hearing it's done and then we're hearing it's 99.9% done. Uh, Stephen Espinosa saying it's 99.9% done. But if, if Wilder is there, that'll be interesting because we may see another in-ring confrontation with Fury like we did at the Wilder fight a couple of years ago, uh, back end of 2015, I think it was, when... Um, you know, we got in the ring, Fury got in the ring with Wilder and got face-to-face with him. That will definitely make the fight even more realistic, as in, it's going to happen. And it'll definitely steal the thunder from Matchroom, Eddie Hearn and Andy Joshua, of course. And I was listening to um, the Joe Rogan podcast today, and he had uh, Macaulay Culkin on, uh, which is a really good episode. I'd, I'd recommend anyone that likes Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone films and to listen to that. It was really good. But he's a massive boxing fan, Macaulay Culkin. I never knew that about him. And him and Joe Rogan were actually talking about the uh, the, the fight with Anthony Joshua and Wilder and, and Fury. And they, was, uh, they were very, very appraisal of... Uh, they were very positive about Fury. He was like, he's a guy that can... I'll quote their words, fuck anyone's shit up. And that was, for me, that just goes to show the impact Fury had with his fights 
uh, you know, beating the likes of Wilder in the way he tore, uh, Wilder, Klitschko, the way he toyed with Klitschko, and that's what they were saying in that episode of the podcast. It was a really interesting little bit of a segment to listen to when they were talking about that, because it was good to get the, their interpretation over in America of how they see that sort of heavyweight triangle at the moment, and... I, I, I obviously want to see the Fury Wilder fight. I keep hearing it's done. I keep hearing it's 99% done, 99.9% done. Again, this is my little sort of rant. You know, just hurry up and tell us it's done. Let's get excited about it. Let's let's see a real, real heavyweight fight. Let's you know, let's let's get Fury back in with a big name. And we've given our thoughts on it last week. I don't really want to focus too much on it until next week, really, until we see what happens with Fury's performance and if Wilder does turn up and does he get in the ring at the end? Do we see that again? That'll be interesting. Um, we've got some other bits and bats of stuff. And nothing too major to go through, really. Just little things like James D. Gale being installed at number six in the WBC rankings, super middleweight rankings, after vacating the IBF title. Uh, you've got other things like Kel Brook being restored to the WBC super welterweight rankings at number three. That's after signing up to the VADA Clean Boxing Anti-Doping Program. So there's a couple of little bits of information there uh, coming out. And I think what we want, what we want to do is sort of focus on what's what's coming. Uh, another announcement this week, actually, before I forget. Great fight. Matty Askin, Lawrence Okolai. That's a fantastic fight and a great statement of intent from Lawrence, that, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a good fight on the undercard. Uh, I saw Matty Askin beat uh, Craig Kennedy a couple of years, I think it was a year ago. But I think it's a good fight, probably a step up for Coley on the undercard. Whether or not the undercard is shaping up to be worthy of a pay per view card, I'm not too sure. But I think that's a good fight. I can't really uh, criticise anyone on that. I think Coley is moving in the right direction. I mean, he's fought Chamberlain now, Askins. I think Askins is a very underrated cruiserweight. I was very impressed the way he dealt with Craig Kennedy, who used to, uh, who used to be in the same gym I used to. Uh, spa with uh, he used to train as well. I think he no longer trains in that gym, but uh, he he Marty Askins is a very good fighter. I think he's only been stopped by Glowacki and he's beaten some very good prospects and fighters. And if Okoli could do a number of beat him, I think that is a very good win. Uh, as for the fight, I think Marty Askins might have a chance of winning this. I think he could probably pull it off. He's got a very good ring IQ and boxing ability, but I think rightly so, Akoli is the favourite. I wouldn't bet my house on Askins. I think Akoli has got long arms power, but if Askins could keep him where he wants him and dictate the fight and gain control, I think Askins could possibly beat him and maybe even stop him. Mm, it's an interesting one. I'm uh, quite excited to, to talk about that in the next few weeks in more detail. I think we'll go into a bit more of a in-depth discussion about that one. But just another, another announcement for this week. That's really good. Um, I think, Hamed, I've, I've got nothing else in terms of news and gossip that I want to discuss. Uh, I just wanted to check if there's anything else you wanted to go through before I move on to the final little uh, segment of the show. No, nothing. I think we've covered everything. Uh, I can't think of anything. Okie dokie as well. Hamed, obviously, we've been discussing off the air about maybe doing an episode of questions and answers. I think it's something I'm really interested in doing. 
Uh, I think we're going to put it out there. I think we'll put it on the Twitter account and on the Facebook account, and we'll get people asking the questions. And I want to, I want to do an episode really dedicated to to the guys that listen to the episodes really, and I want them to send the questions in. So everybody that listens to it, there's quite a few years out there now. You know, a couple of hundred there a week that are listening to it. Uh, at least uh, could possibly be more. I've not actually tri- tracked every single analytical side of things in the past couple of weeks to be fair but I know it's he's got a good steady couple of hundred people listening to it every single week so thank you as always for listening to it but I want to do a Q&A session I want to do a Q&A podcast episode so what I want everybody to do is I want you to get on Twitter and I want you to ask us questions that you want us to answer our opinions about certain fights, fighters, promoters, TV deals. Get Hamed ranting about the TV deals going on in the UK at the moment. <laughs> I want to get I want to get a big one-off episode going for Q and A's. I think we've not done one yet on uh, Beyond the Rocks Boxing Podcast, and I would absolutely love to do one. So yeah, you know where we are now, and that's where you need to find us. That's where you need to send the questions to. So you've got Twitter at B. ETR Boxing Pod. You've got Facebook. It's just Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. You can email me if you want to just email it over to us. It's Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast at gmail.com. You can find myself on Twitter. It's Sean Basto ESBR on there. You can find the platform, Eat Sleep Boxing Repeat. We're all over social media. You'll be able to find us. Send us all your questions over, please, because I'd love to do a Q&A session uh, and go through other people's opinions. I want to hear what everyone else has got to say about some of these fights we've discussed, some of the TV deal stuff that we've been discussing, the the prospects. Can Alvarez become uh, the the new light heavyweight king? You know things like that. Really, I want to I want to see what everyone else's thoughts are, and and it'll be really good to do an episode like that, Hamed. I think in uh, in the next week. So, uh, Hamed, anything else before we call it an episode? It's a pleasure to be back on here and I look forward to going back. I think there's a good card on next weekend, so it'll be good to talk about that card. But yeah, thanks for having me on. No, no, a pleasure as always, Hamed, with your insightful uh, analysis of fights and your excellent rants about TV deals. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> I've really enjoyed the episode. It's been a good one. So, guys, I've just told you where to find us. Please re- rate, review, subscribe, like the Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, share the episodes out when they go around. Thanks very much, and we'll talk to you next time. place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.